Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Well, unlike Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp today, this podcast at least isn't down. We're up and running. We're getting going. CJ, good to see you as always. It's good to see you too, Julian. I, I didn't know if the show would go on because our group chat was shut down all day. So it's, Seriously. Been, it's been quiet on the phone. We I feel like we haven't connected. This is this is freestyle in this show. Seriously, man. I, I hope things go well on the show and nothing breaks. I mean, we had ideas to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. We wanted to mention Olympics talk because it's never too early to mention the Olympics, especially when someone like CJ gets an interview with Doug Armstrong, the general manager of Team Canada, and uh, three members of Team Canada have been already announced. I didn't even know they had to announce names this soon. But before we get to all of that, Robin Leonard, who for whatever reason, uh, decided to take a blowtorch and, in layman's terms, woke up and chose violence because he put the Buffalo Sabres on blast. He put the Philadelphia Flyers and Alain Vigneault on blast with uh, allegations that he may be pushing some different types of drugs and medications onto other players. It's a lot of kind of weird ground that we may be touching on for these next few minutes on this topic. But I think it's important that we talk about it. And before we get to the news aspect of all of this, of what's next, because we know Robin Leonard apparently could be meeting with the NHL. CJ, when you heard or saw uh, Robin Leonard's tweets on Twitter about everything that he said, what was your initial reaction? I was a little surprised, I guess. I mean, I, I actually didn't see it Saturday night. I went to bed early, wasn't looking at Twitter too much before bed and woke up Sunday morning. And I was like, whoa. Oh, that was a lot there to digest. And, you know, I think what's important to me is Robin Leonard is an interesting dude. I think he's a very courageous fellow, the way he's, he's talked about, you know, his, his issues with substance abuse, you know, when he had to go to rehab, you know, some of the mental struggles that, that he's gone through. And, you know, I, I guess when, once you digest sort of what was all there and I, and I think we'll probably get into this, but wasn't entirely clear everything that was being alleged, you know, I mean, it was, um, you know, it was sort of almost a stream of consciousness type of thing was how it, it came across to me in reading it on Sunday. But, you know, for, for Robin, you know, I, I really believe that he's someone who, who's willing to put it out there. And, and, you know, he obviously really believes in, in, you know, what he's saying here. And, and I think he's got more to say. And, you know, I think he's a really valuable person in the sport because, you know, he's, he's willing to sort of push beyond, um, you know, some of the niceties, I guess we all deal with and, and, you know, speak his truth. And, you know, I commend him for that. And, you know, I'm not, not entirely sure where this is going though, in terms of what he's now going to say to the NHL and, and what happens there. But, you know, I do think, um, you know, we, we should, we want to, we want to create a space, I guess, where someone like that is being supported because, um, you know, I do think he's got a lot of value to, to add. I just want to read a tweet. Uh, well, two tweets here. Uh, that I think kind of sum up the way that Robin has approached this whole thing on Twitter. I've made crazy amount of mistakes, but lying about what I've seen for 12 years is not one of them. I don't care what they say. I don't lie about these things. 100, he does the 100 emoji. True. I'll keep going. Have stored stories for a year. Watch now and NHL will try to cancel me. Good luck, whatever... Okay, the last sentence, admittedly, a little bit broken there, but the next tweet that follows below is come up about me. I don't care. 
I, I don't know. I, look, like that sounds like somebody who just feels they have nothing to lose and they just want to put everything. I'm also just curious, like, is it was it the fact that Jack Eichel was going through what he was going through in Buffalo? Did something else occur over the last few days that made him want to do this? Because it's one thing if you have these stories and you have them in the back of your mind and maybe one day you want to put them in a book or something. But the way that he put out this stream of consciousness it, this would lead me to believe that like something happened in the last few days that would make him want to say this. My, my understanding is that a lot of the triggering for this is the Jack Eichel situation. And, okay. you know, obviously Robin spent a few years playing for the Sabres, knows Jack Eichel well. And, you know, I, I don't know how much inside info he has on what's going on there, but certainly doesn't like the way this has gone on. And, and you know, we've, we've talked about this in a previous episode. I mean, that's that's a really complicated situation still, Julian. Like mm-hmm. he's no closer, in my opinion, today to being traded than when we you know, spoke about it two weeks ago. Um, you know, obviously, I guess he is closer each passing day. It takes you one day closer when it will happen. It's going to happen at some point. But, you know, there, there doesn't appear to be much movement behind the scenes with Jack Eichel. He still wants to have the disc replacement surgery. Sabres want to have a spinal fusion type of surgery. And, you know, when you're at that crossroads, I mean, I, I don't know how that solves itself. And then on top of that, you know, Jack Eichel and his representatives are trying to find another team comfortable enough to give up a huge haul to get him and, and make that happen. And, and so anyway, you know, it is a case where, you know, it's a complicated injury. And, and I, I would say in Jack Eichel's case, it's not clear, you know, that there's different doctors that believe the, the disc replacement surgery is the right way to go. And, and you know, it's not like the Sabres are the, have the only set of doctors that believe the fusion uh, surgery is the way to go. So there, there really is... Um, you know, it's kind of a crossroads or a stalemate in the, in the medical community about how to progress. And Jack Eichel, because of the terms of the CABA, as with any player, doesn't have full control over his treatment plan. And, and so, you know, I guess the fact that this situation has gone on and continued to fester, I mean, you know, I don't know when we're going to see Jack Eichel play an NHL game again, unfortunately. I mean, this is very much up in the air. And so he's losing another valuable set of time here in his career. And, you know, I think that that's really what, what pushed Robin Leonard to, to speak out about some other things he didn't like, you know, specifically to do with painkillers and, and Ambien, um, you know, being given to, to players, not in, in a prescri- prescribed manner uh, from a doctor, you know, anecdotally that lines up with what I've heard from some former players. You know, I don't think that he's, he's speaking so far out of turn here. It's hard to imagine this. And so, you know, let's hope that, that I think the best outcome here is that both the NHLPA, which has already spoken to Robin and, you know, soon the NHL will do the same you know, take, you know, what he has to say to heart and, and, you know, try to follow up on that. I, I do think there've been some positive strides uh, in the most recent CBA with players and painkillers and those types of things, but it's, it's a real issue. It's not, um, you know, it's, 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 it's good of Robin, I guess, to shine his light on it because it's going to get it some attention and hopefully some action too. Uh, I want to add a bit of context before I ask my next question with regards to what Robin Leonard went through in Buffalo, according to his Twitter anyway, uh, forgive me, I am going off of his Twitter and doing the whole look down thing, but I think it's important we add that context. But Robin put out a tweet, uh, which actually shows a photo of his ankle, and he captions it, they screwed my ankle in reference to the Buffalo Sabres, big time, then surgery, then pills, no care, almost died, but eh, after forcing leg press after a few weeks, after bad high ankle sprain first game. And he, he, he references the ankle, that is foot after treatment. Later, my soul is gone after a month after surgery. It's not all pretty. So this is clearly someone who felt that they were wrong by the way the Buffalo Sabres handled things. And just as an outside from an outside perspective here, 
seeing that and looking at what's going on with Jack Eichel, of course, the Buffalo Sabres do not look good in any of this. The question I wanted to ask you kind of pertains to the second half of your answer, uh, where you started going on the fact that the HOPA obviously being involved, the NHL is supposed to be getting involved with Robin Leonard. Uh, Alan Vigneault had to address uh, these allegations at a press conference in Philadelphia uh, today and uh, obviously denied what was being said out there. Uh, is there any news on what the NHL might do with the Flyers or Vigneault, if they're going to be doing any investigations on that front? What can you just tell us? Well, it's, I think it's a little premature to say what will come out of this, if anything. You know, I, I think first step is is to sit down with Robin and have him detail um, his allegations, what he knows, what he's what he's got bottled up, you know, those that year's worth of stories he referenced in his his tweets. And then I think if action is needed, then obviously there would be some type of investigation, whether it's the allegations against the Flyers or otherwise. You know, one thing we should point out, actually, is that Robin has since clarified he wasn't suggesting that Alan Vino was was actually himself giving out pills to players. He was more saying that he he hasn't liked his treatment uh, from what he's heard of, of some players. You know, interestingly, Leonard's never played for Vino, right? That, that's why... Yeah. You know, when you're reading the series of tweets, it, it was a little hard to follow in the sense that you're just wondering where is this all coming from, except that, you know, Robin's obviously getting things off his chest. And, you know, given what we know about him, given his paths, I, I would say this isn't someone who's going to be silenced. You know, I, I sense that there's maybe a little bit of cynicism out there. People say, oh, yeah, sure. You know, he'll have these conversations and it'll never go anywhere. You know, I, I just think given the conviction that Robin has, if even the few times I've talked to him over the years, I haven't talked to him since this series of tweets. So it's just more going off his history, but, you know, I, I really believe that, that he's got a man with a lot of conviction and, and, you know, I, I don't think that he will be silenced. And so, you know, that's where I see a tremendous amount of value in this, obviously just having the courage to come forward and, and share some things, you know, I, I don't, I think there's a lot of players out there that wouldn't be. And, and, you know, I think Robin's doing this for himself, but also doing it for, for the athletes he shared dressing rooms with, um, you know, around the league. And so, you know, it, this this to me won't just be a, a one day story and done. I, you know, I, I do think it's too soon to say where it will go. And, and you know, we're not privy to all the information that that he claims to have here. But, you know, I, I think that he's someone that if he's not satisfied with the response that he gets in, in dealing behind the scenes with the league and the Players Association, you know, I, I fully expect he'll he'll go public again. What did you think about the fact that he chose the medium of Twitter to lay this all out? Because he could have, one, maybe gone on a podcast or two, spoken to the media and maybe just kind of brought it up. He's he's mentioned, he's spoken personally about himself to the media before. I'm just curious what you thought about the fact that he decided to go the stream of consciousness route by just divulging everything that he did on Twitter. Well, I think it's maximum impact in a sense, um, at least at least from a public standpoint, right? Uh, I, I'm sure, you know, the league has set up a, a private 1-800 number where you can, you know, call with anonymous tips basically on anything. And, and they have pledged to, to look into those, uh, you know, accusations that might come across that line, you know, to do with how players are being treated or things that are being seen. You know, he could have gone that route, but we, we might never found out about it. And, um, you know, so I think that, that he's chosen to do this. You know, I wonder, he was at a team event. Uh, I understand when he, when he made those tweets, I just wonder maybe something triggered him there and, and he had his phone in his hand and it's, it's pretty easy to do. I mean, it's amazing how Twitter, you know, can be so instant and immediate, you know, right in your pocket. He didn't have to set up a, a meeting or even use the phone to call that number. He didn't have to, you know, go on a podcast. Um, you know, I, I don't know how thought through that part was, but, you know, I'm sure the league on some level would rather all this be dealt with a little bit more privately or, or behind the scenes, but, 
you know, again, Robin is very comfortable putting himself out there and I got no issue with it. And as I say, I, I still think he, we could see him do it again, you know, just cause he, he didn't follow up and do another tweet storm on, on Sunday or at least Monday to the point where we're recording this podcast. You know, I, I don't think we've heard the last of them on these issues. I will always ask this question when it comes to these big time stories, because there's so much out there. There's so much we're trying to understand and because you're in the position that you are, you obviously know 10 times more than I do, but is there, before we move on to the next topic, is there anything on this story with Robin Leonard that you know that you meant that you want to mention that I didn't get a chance to ask you in these last few minutes? Nothing huge, but one thing, maybe just a point I neglected to make is I actually think he's doing this from a, a, a positive position. I mean, obviously some of these allegations are tough to hear, um, you know, but I, I do think that that he wants to make put the sport in a better place. I don't think he's looking to to set fire to everything and and you know pull up everyone's timelines on Twitter. Like I, I really believe he's trying to to help and and um, you know that that that's an important thing to keep in mind as we see what you know sort of flows out of this. What the league ends up doing is you know I really believe this comes from a good place in Robin's heart. Yeah, we're gonna have to keep tabs on that story, and I know the rest of the hockey world will because. It seems when Robin Leonard speaks, a lot of people like to listen. And this particular uh, report going around now is definitely something we're going to be paying attention to. I want to go from Robin Leonard to the Vancouver Canucks, who were also in the news over this past weekend. We had been trying to track down when or what the offers or deals would look like for their two restricted free agent stars and Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. Deals go down for both of them. A bridge deal for Elias Patterson a much longer deal for the defenseman Quinn Hughes. What were your initial reactions uh, when you saw the uh, salaries and the offers out there for both those players and the fact that they came to terms over the weekend? Well, these to me seem like very fair contracts. You know, I, I don't think we can declare a massive winner or not in these, you know, other than the fact that, you know, if you're in Vancouver, of course, I think you would have liked to lock both players up long-term, but, you know, for the reasons we've discussed previously, it just wasn't going to be possible with the amount of cap space they had to, to make these contracts. And so given that limitation, I, I think they've done well. You know, I come out of it, you know, thinking that that Elias Pettersson is really going to be a player to watch now because, um, you know, the, the, the three-year contract is kind of a four-year contract. If you want to think of it that way, you know, Vancouver would be required to to give him a one-year qualifying offer if, if he got to the end of that contract without an extension. You know, the, the, the amount of that qualifying offer is, is $8.8 million. Uh, and then that would walk him directly to potentially unrestricted free agency. And, you know, even at the time of that 8.8 million, he doesn't have to take his qualifying offer. He could go to arbitration and get 10 million on the next deal. And so, you know, what it does is it sort of clearly defines this next phase of his career. If he's healthy, I don't think there's any question or any doubt, probably in any front office in the league, he's going to outperform his cap hit on this contract, you know, 7.35 million. You know, he's, he's been just slightly less than a point of game player, in his first three NHL seasons, I would think logic tells us in years four, five, and six, again, presuming and hoping for good health for him, you know, that he's going to be an even more impactful player in those years. And if that is the case, Vancouver will be getting somewhat of a bargain these next three seasons. And, and you know, they're going to try to win during those years because it's going to get much tougher beyond that. You're either in a position where you're potentially losing him. And, and I don't think Elias Pettersson wants to leave Vancouver, but it's just hard to know what the, the circumstances will look like four years down the road, or you're going to be paying him a lot more money. And, and the challenge of building a great team around him and, and Hughes and, and, you know, Bo Horvat, uh, Brock Besser is going to be a little bit tougher of a job for, for whoever's in that GM's chair at the time. 
Can you run me that qualifying offer number just one last time? Because I heard that and I could not believe if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, you very much saw my reaction when you read out, read out the number. But just for more for everyone who's listening on Spotify or whatever, did you just say $8.8 million? Yes, I believe it might be 8.82, but I don't have my notes in front of me. But that's that's definitely the ballpark of, of what it is. And so that that sets the floor at minimum what he'll be earning in year four. The, you know, the, the first year beyond this contract. I mean, there's almost no circumstance where he'll be earning less than that in that year. And then the year after that, which I believe is 25, 26, and no hockey fan really wants to think of this, but that's probably going to be the first year where the cap goes up significantly again. I mean, we're going to see some $1 million bumps, but, you know, it looks like by the projections as what we know now is, you know, four years from now basically is when we're going to see a cap jump and, and, it could be a big jump at that time. It could be a 10 or $15 million jump, but, you know, really impossible to say now, you know, where exactly league revenues will go in, in the meantime. But, um, you know, I think it's quite conceivable. There's a major jump and, and imagine a player like Pedersen, you know, at his age, you know, be 25 or 26, you know, potentially hitting the, the UFA market as that cap is jumping like that. I mean, you know, he's in a, as much as he probably would have preferred a longer contract. I know he was hoping to, to sign a five-year deal. Uh, if possible, it's just that they couldn't get to a number that made sense for him to do that, you know, with the, the cap constraints and all those types of things. But, you know, this still, I think, sets him up for some big paydays down the road. And, and you know, as long as he holds up his end of the bargain and is, is great a player through the next phase of his career as he's been to, to enter the NHL, I mean, he's, uh, he's not going to have to worry about uh, his kids or his kids' kids. Yeah, and, li- and living in Vancouver, we all know how big the housing prices are over there. He doesn't have to worry. If he stays in Vancouver, of course, he's not going to have to worry that much about whether or not he can afford to find a place. Uh, not That's to a mention, real worry, like, though, man. Like, yeah, if you're not, seriously. If you're making, like, league average, you're living like a journalist in other cities. I mean, I don't mean to be <laughs> too, too smart about it, but, like, you know, it's that real estate market is crazy. I, I, I now want to know what my journalist colleagues in Vancouver, what life as a journalist is like in there. Also, in 25, 26, like McDavid salary will be in double figures. Uh, Nathan McKinnon will probably have a new deal by then that will have them in double figures as well. Uh, the Leafs, obviously, depending on what goes on with Matthews and Marner's contracts at that point. Well, Matthews only has three years left, including this coming season. So two beyond this year. So you know, really two years from now in Toronto, there'll be talk about trying to extend him and, and who knows what that'll look like. I mean, someone will pass McDavid, right? McDavid has put the bar mm-hmm. 12 and a half million. You know, I think McKinnon, there's at least a chance he passes him. We'll see how that goes. Um, you know, because he, you know, he hasn't, he's, he's been a really good value contract for, for Colorado these last number of years. And if, if it's not him, then, you know, I think Matthews will, will take a run at trying to do it. Is so back to Vancouver for a second here. The fact that they have that deal for Patterson and they have the deals for Hughes, and you could always add more context with that contract as well. Is this good? Is are they really are the Canucks set up at least for the next few years financially, like in a good spot with the young core that they have and whatever additions they want to do? And I think of the off season that they just had, where they offloaded all of these bad contracts, but they ended up taking on Oliver Ekman Larson's contract and he signed for the foreseeable future. Yes, they did get Connor Garland, but they still have that albatross of a salary with OEL. Considering the fact that they they afforded those contracts out to Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes, going forward, like how do you see this stacking up from a money standpoint, from a salary cap standpoint? Well, it's not ideal. Like there's because look, we're gonna be talking about their cap issues probably every offseason until 
you know, unless at some point they blow it up and trade some of these guys away, which obviously wouldn't be a good sign either. That would be a rebuild or something like that. So, you know, I, I do think that they're set up reasonably well in that, you know, they got some nice players on their team. There's no doubt about that, but they, they got real challenges. And that's why, again, in a perfect world, you want to be Edmonton. You know, they, they got McDavid on eight years on his second deal like that. You know, even when you're paying him as the top paid player in the league, I, I actually think that's a little bit better because it gives you something close to stability to build around. And, and you know, so in a perfect world, you know, Besser would have signed a longer deal than he did, you know, on his second contract. I think certainly without question, Pedersen would have one now. And, and you would sort of have a, a clearer window of how many cracks you have at it with this team before some things get in there. But, you know, credit where it's due as well. I thought Jim Benning had a good summer you know, he put himself in the, in the problem to begin with. So, but, you know, I thought he did a pretty good job of extricating himself from some, some, you know, basically bottom nine forwards, you know, like guys that aren't going to play with, with these star players that were, were owed too much money. He was able to get out from under some of those, you know, he used a couple buyouts on Jake for and Braden Holtby and, you know, at least set himself up, I think, to improve his team. Um, but, you know, the flip side of that is they got about a three-year window starting right now to get the job done. Um, you know, there's ways that they could extend it beyond that, but you know, certainly I think the pressure to win should be, should be immense in Vancouver, um, frankly. And, and I know they missed the playoffs last year, but if, if these guys are healthy uh, you know, they've, they've got a pretty nice core and, and they don't got a lot of years to try to get the job done, or at least where, where you can say with certainty that they have that. I think Vancouver has one of the nicer cores in professional hockey as it is. Like we, we look at what Tampa Bay has built up. We look at what Colorado has and Vegas. They've been able to compete pretty much since they've gotten, since they were, you know, put into the league and they've just built on top of the core that they have. But Vancouver with the players that they have in Pedersen and Hughes and Horvat, you don't need me to go through the whole list, but this, I like Connor Garland too. You mentioned earlier, you know, like I feel like, their depth issues aren't as, as pronounced as they were last year, in my opinion. Thatcher Demko too. Like, like this guy is just getting started as an NHL goaltender, but he's won everywhere. Uh, and certainly has played some, some nice NHL games too. Had a great run for Vancouver in the, in the bubble in Edmonton, um, you know, back in September, 2020. But, you know, I, I think he could be a, a special goaltender for them too. So yeah, they're, they're set up to have the kind of team that can climb and, and disrupt uh, the established powers. But Again, I think it's challenging when every two years you got one of these contracts coming due and, and you know, it's just hard to, to fit everyone in. This is a salary cap, though. This is this. They're not the only team in the league by any stretch that has these issues. I think we've seen a number of great teams. You know, Tampa just won two cups and then had to get rid of an entire line. Uh, you know, one of their most effective lines beyond their superstars. And so, you know, this is this is a, a reality of today's NHL, but it's going to bite the Canucks maybe before they have the kind of success that you'd like to see with, with that good of a core. I'll say this about your Tampa thing. Like there are other teams, if they lose a line like that, it hurts them a lot more Tampa Bay and the division that they're in. They're still looked at as a cup contender to me. I'll, I'll add this next question with Vancouver. Um, with the Canucks and the way that their core is set, we were just kind of praising them just now. How could you expect them to actually be in, in the Pacific division? Well, they're in the division to make some noise. Like to me, the Pacific is the weakest of the four divisions entering the season. Um, you know, I know that there's some good teams in there, but there, there it's, it's a lot of teams on the rebuild and, and sort of in, in some strange spots, like say Calgary, I, you know, I don't know what to make of their team just because last year was such a disappointment. 
And I thought they were poised actually to have a good season last year to heading into things. Um, you know, I, I remember I, that. I remember yeah, you said I them to you win the said division. The Cal- yes, I remember we had a whole conversation about you th- you picking the Calgary Flames. I remember you sold me on the Calgary old, Flames. Actually. Old takes exposed. I had to do my <laughs> picks last year, and man, it didn't go well for me with Calgary. I, I really don't like doing picks, but like I made that picks. I, I made that pick sincerely. Like I wasn't I wasn't trying to clown on anyone. I just thought that they had had a couple good seasons below the radar, and I liked the Tanev signing. Like I like getting Markstrom for them in free agency. It, it just looked to me like like there was no reason not to think they'd have a strong season, but man, it didn't didn't pan, pan out. But you know, back to the Pacific, I, I do think there's opportunity there for Vancouver. We're, we're returning to those divisions. We're returning to that playoff format. You know, they can get through two rounds. You know, the problem is they're going to have to hit Vegas at some point. Um, maybe round one, maybe round two, uh, unless they they end up as a wild card team and and you know go into the Central. But you know, let's not get too too far down the line. I, I certainly think Vancouver is a playoff team in that division. They carry that expectation. And, you know, it's that's the other good part about getting these deals done is now these players, they're at least going to get one week of camp and, you know, not be jumping straight into the regular season because this is a really important season for that that organization. Oh, now that you mentioned that in terms of getting deals done before camp, you just made me think of another guy who still has not signed a contract. But before I ask about him, uh, Travis Kamenick in the Vancouver Canucks. I'm, I'm curious about his status because I don't think he's been at training camp at all for the Vancouver Canucks. It may be for a different reason. I mean, it's not because of an RFA situation at all. I'm not specifically sure what this reason is, but do you have any insight as to that or what's going on there? I, I think it's it's best probably just to call it a fluid situation. I think that you know the Canucks have said it's it's personal reasons that's kept Travis Hamnick away from camp and you know, I think he should get, you know, some, some distance or privacy on, on, you know, what he's dealing with, but um, you know, certainly it's, it's an important question. And look, there was a deadline on Friday where players could opt out of the season. There's at least a question whether he would do that. He didn't end up doing that. So, you know, he's under contract to Vancouver, you know, let's hope he gets back there as soon as possible, but you know, we'll, we'll leave his privacy to, to him. And um, you know, I, I really do believe I, the one thing I'll say is I've been around this league a long time, Julian. And when teams say mm-hmm. personal reasons, and there's been a few cases where that's been the case, and I've found out quietly what it was like, they, they don't use that to, they don't use that term lightly or that, that is a way to deflect attention from what's a normal reason to, to not be there. So, you know, I think we'll give Travis and his family some, some privacy. I agree with that. And, and thinking in light of what's gone on with Jonathan Drouin and the Montreal Canadiens, in, in my market, at least we're not too far off from a player taking time away due to personal reasons. I will take the opportunity to uh, ask about that RFA update and uh, Brady Kachuk with the signings of Patterson and Hughes. uh, He is the RFA left without a contract. Are we any closer to seeing him sign with the Ottawa senators? Do you have anything on that? We are closer because look, Ottawa isn't even at the salary cap floor right now without him signed. Um, you know, they, they have until October 12th to get cap compliant or October 11th, I believe it is that the opening night rosters get set. So, you know, they're down to about a week until they, they have to get to that spot. And, and, you know, it's pretty obvious where the, the, they intend to, to get the money to, to, to jump over the floor as, you know, Brady Kachuk's going to get a nice contract here. They do have Tyler Ennis in camp on a PTO. Maybe he gets a contract as well to, to help get, get up to that number. But, you know, with Kachuk, it seems like Ottawa is still very focused on an eight year contract. Uh, if they can make that happen. And so, you know, if they hold that line in terms of that sort of term, I, you know, I think that there's an easier bridge to be done with him. Uh, for example, a three-year contract, you know, will we'll come with some questions about, will he sign another one beyond that year? 
you know, you, you're playing, it's a different set of circumstances and what Vancouver was dealing with, with Pedersen, um, you know, but, you know, as long as the senators are fixed on an eight year contract, I think we should be looking at his teammate, Thomas Shabbat. He signed an eight year, $8 million contract. You know, I would expect, you know, to get Brady Kachuk signed for eight years, it's probably going to take a little bit more than the 8 million Shabbat got. And, you know, as far as I can tell, that's kind of where we are right now. I mean, he's, um, you know, I don't know that the, the gap in what the sides want financially is huge, but, you know, you, you, you need some movement at some point. And, and I would think that that's going to come, you know, very soon here. I'd be, I'd be surprised if this one dragged into the regular season. Uh, and so really we're down to the final week where, you know, they, they, if, if the Sens got to keep going for 8 million, I think that they're going to have to, or sorry, eight years, I think they're going to have to get to 8 million and above and probably put some bonus money in there, which is not something, you know, that that organization or franchise has done a lot, done too often. Um, you know, there's always a compromise possibility where you go shorter term and, you know, try to try to do it again in a few years time. Have you taken stock at all as to what the Ottawa Senators fan base has been like with the Brady Kachuk proceedings as, as they are right now? Have you been seeing on Twitter or other parts of the NHL world what like Senators fans are feeling kind of right now? Are, are they like, you know, just like whatever about it? Are they patient? I imagine they would be impatient, but I'm kind of curious from your vantage point. I, I think they're pretty, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to feel it. I mean, look, this is a, a great player for them to watch. You know, one of the, one of the league leaders last year in both hits and shots on goal. I mean, he's, he plays a very physical game around the net, uh, can, can put up some points and goals in doing so. And, and he's part of what they hope is a young core, right? And, 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 you know, Ottawa hasn't had a whole lot to feel good about, but the Senators finished last season great. You know, now it's, it's heading into another full year with, with Stutzla and Josh Norris and, 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 you know, some of the guys that got on D with Shabbat. And then, you know, you, you want Brady Kachuk in that mix. I mean, I still think, Personally, that they're a few years away from uh, being the kind of team, you know, that, that really strikes fear into their opponents. But they earned a lot of respect back last year with how hard they played and, and you know, some of the, the games that they played in the North Division. So, yeah, I think fans are nervous. I you know my brother-in-law, Alex, is a senator season ticket holder. He's been texting me up a storm. And I got a few people in my DMs always looking for Brady updates. So, yeah, I think it's getting tense. But, you know, as I say... Beyond, look, if you're a fan, you can worry. You, you can do whatever you want. I mean, I'm I'm as a rational Blue Jays fan as there is. So, like, I I feel <laughs> oh you. I, I you know, I'm not a hockey fan in, in the sense just because of my work, but I feel you. If you're just if your emotions are everywhere, I'm not going to tell you not to feel them. But you know, if you look at this logically, I don't think you get too worried unless we get till next Monday. And if there's no contract, I think then you know if the sides dig in and and he starts missing real games, you know, I think that's that's where the cause for real concern is. But they still got a week or so here to to get this uh, negotiation across the finish line. How often do your family members text you for like insights on what's going on in the NHL? I'm curious oh, about this. A lot, a lot. Uh, my, my family <laughs> and my friends. The worst is trade deadline day, right? Because trade oh, deadline yeah. day, you're live on TV. And obviously that whole day, you're just, if you're me, we just ambush everyone that might possibly give us some information. We're chasing all these rumors that we hear. And then like my buddy would be like, hey, yo, you know, what are the flames doing? And I'm like... <laughs> Come on. Like, I love you, man. But like, it's the wrong day. Just if there's, if there was a day that I could put like family and friends on mute, it, it would be trade deadline day. I mean, most of the time I don't mind. I, I love hockey too. I'm, I don't, I don't mind conversing on this, but there's certain days like when you're live on TV, staring at your phone for eight hours, you don't need your buddies being goofs uh, in, in, in the messages there. <laughs> 
No, the worst must be like, I don't mean to hijack this and make this about trade deadline day talk. And we could have a whole discussion right. on that closer to the day. But I just want to, I just imagine like you're working on set somewhere and you're checking your phone for, you know, news on some player moving. And like your phone is just going off and you check your phone and just like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Uh, did the Flames do something? And you must be feeling so like stressed out. Like I'd be stressing the hell out. Yeah. And the other one that lots of people love to do is like take a picture of you on TV from wherever they're sitting and then just text oh you that my picture. God, it's like this, it's like meta or something. But like a lot of times it's like, say, guys, I know that work in front offices and they're just sitting around. You know, some teams are kind of quiet that day and they're just sitting in a big boardroom watching us all talk about this stuff for eight hours. And so sometimes you get that. But, you know, it's all fun and games. I mean, I I actually can appreciate it because. You know, I, I remember loving this too. You know, before I got to do this, I was I was that person. And you know, I try not to lose sight of the fact that that people that are that care enough like that, like they're they they help keep us employed. So, you know, I try to give out the info where I can. I trying to I know there's a few people out there asking me to come on their podcast. I'm trying to to do that too while also balancing my 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 day jobs here. But um, you know, I know we're we're lucky to get to do this, Julian. So, you know, yeah. But but I will say when we get what is it, March twenty first this year, I think is trade deadline, like don't be sending me goofy stuff in the in the group chat because okay. you, okay. you might you might see CJ get a little anxious anxious in there. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Scouts honor and and we have this in, on wax. We'll have this on recording. I will not send you any goofy shit on March twenty first during trade deadline day. Maybe that I might just like send stuff to everyone else, but I'm not going to send you any goofy shit before uh, three o'clock. That's normally the deadline. After three, maybe I'll give you like you know the hey man, you were great on. On the TSN panel or or whatever, but I'm not sending you any goofy shit. Pro- I promise. Deal. You. I like that. I like that. And look, we'll probably be doing a show that night after, so we're gonna have that to too. talk that day. It's just, you know, maybe maybe when it's like 2 p.m. in the afternoon Eastern time, just 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 like you know, let it let it lie a little bit. I got you, CJ. Okay. Um, the last topic I wanted to discuss on this Chris Johnston show, great show. Uh, you had a conversation with Doug Armstrong, the general manager of Team Canada. Uh, ahead of the 2022 Olympic Games in Beijing. Uh, three players uh, named over the weekend to Team Canada. No surprise, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, and Alex Petrangelo uh, from the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, your work, by the way, with uh, Doug Armstrong can be seen in the Toronto Star. Um, what tidbits did you get out of it, or what were your biggest takeaways from your conversation with uh, general manager Doug Armstrong? Well, I think because it's such a weird you know, it's, it's just a weird period in our lives still. And because, you know, the NHL only officially agreed to go to the games a month ago or so, like it's probably sneaking up on people how close the real decisions are coming here. And so, yeah, they've named the three players you mentioned as their first three. Each country's doing that. You know, I saw that that Sweden's got Victor Hedman, uh, Mika Zibanejad, and Gabriel Landeskog as their first three. I'm sure in the coming days, what we'll learn among the other teams. But, you know, by October 15th, which getting soon, that's when Team Canada has to put in its long list, it's called. And basically at that point, those players are subjected to different sorts of drug testing. There's paperwork and stuff for them to fill out, but no one that isn't on that long list can represent Canada at the Olympics. So if someone came out of nowhere and had a monster season, if they're not that part of that list, October 15th, they're, they're no longer under consideration in any shape, way, shape or form. And, you know, in talking to Doug Armstrong, there's a couple things. Like he, he mentioned just the, the youth, like, this is like going to be a real sort of turning over a new leaf for Team Canada, I think. And and so yeah, you're going to have Crosby there. You know, I would think you know Brad Marchand will be back. 
Patrice Bergeron, you know, guys who played in the 2016 World Cup. Obviously, Alex Petrangelo is from that group. But there's going to be a ton of new players. And they're, they're not new to us as hockey fans. We're talking with the McKinnons and the McDavid's. You know, probably Mitch Marner, you know, guys like Mark Shifley, Mark Stone, but, you know, players that have not played for Team Canada in a best on best event. And so I think that that's actually, for me, one of the things I'm most excited to see is just kind of this, you know, new, new wave of blood coming in. And, and you know, and talking to Doug, you know, there's a lot of planning going on. Like he said, they're more than a year into their player evaluations as a management group. Uh, they, they had a four day sort of retreat with the coaching staff, the management staff, the equipment staff. Uh, in Banff in, in September, start of September. And so, yeah, this hasn't been maybe front of mind because just, again, everything's so weird, but this is going to happen quickly. We're going to have a Team Canada. We're, you know, we're going to presumably see them at the Olympics, although there is still the ability for the NHL and NHLPA to pull out right up until January uh, without any penalty. Um, but let's hope that this is going to be a great season and, and we're going to you know, actually get these teams picked because you know, I don't think we've had as much debate as you'd normally have around who should be there and who shouldn't be there because it's kind of sneaking up on us. You know, what's funny, actually, uh, a couple hours before uh, we got together for this podcast, I got asked by this ESPN radio station in Albany about whether or not uh, players are actually really going to go to the Olympics. And like, I'm kind of more basic with it. Like, I'm just seeing the news that's out there. It's like, okay, they're allowed to go. And I feel like as if like, at least on two different occasions, we've heard that the players are going to be able to go. But there seems to still be some doubt over whether or not this could happen. You just mentioned that the NHL could, you know, in, in January just say, you know what, we're not going to do this. Do you, Chris, like actually think this is going to happen? I think it's going to happen. But like, I'm curious what you think about this. I definitely think it's going to happen just because just the players want to do it so badly. Like, there's a lot of reasons you could argue for them not to do it. For example, they didn't get COVID insurance. It's part of the Olympic deal. So if a player were to go to Beijing and contract COVID, and have to miss time with his NHL team, like theoretically that NHL team doesn't have to pay him for the time missed. Um, you know, they're not going to, unless something dramatically changes, and I really don't think it won't, will at this late hour, like they're not going to bring, be able to bring friends and family. Uh, there's talk of them basically not being able to leave the, the bubble in, in the athlete's village, that they might have to wear tracking devices um, to be used for, for potential contract tracing and to track their movements. I mean, this, other than the fact you get to go, represent your country in the biggest sporting event the world knows, you know, this, this is going to be a, a very inconvenient Olympics call it, you know, it, it won't be a great experience, especially inevitably some teams going to go over there and not have a, a good tournament either. So you're going to put yourself through all these sort of sacrifices. You're going to get there. And then, you know, if you don't win a gold medal, if you're team Canada or whether it's Finland or Sweden or Russia or the U S I mean, there's not room for all those countries on the podium, and all those countries will go expecting, you know, to be in the conversation for metal at minimum. So, you know, I, I think that it's it says something about how badly what this means to the players that they accepted the deal they did. Um, you know, and a lot of it is these guys like McDavid and Matthews, you know, Victor Hedman actually has been quite outspoken. Like these guys grew up watching the Olympics with with NHL players and and they they didn't want to have that pass them by, not get that opportunity in their own careers. So I do believe it's going to happen. The biggest sort of existential threat to it not happening is if, you know, this NHL season gets disrupted with COVID outbreaks. If a lot of games have to be rescheduled, like we saw last year, there's just not room on the calendar to do that and also have an Olympic break. So yes, if one team has to have three games rescheduled, that's probably okay. But if, if we see an, a number of outbreaks among teams and, and huge swaths of the schedule get disrupted, you know, 
the, the, the league and the players association will have no choice. I mean, the first priority this season, of course, is, is getting games played, getting an 82 game season and getting fans back in the building, which is, you know, money in the till, essentially getting the business up and running again. And so, you know, that's, that's going to take priority over, over the Olympics. If, if they have to make our choice between the two. Mm-hmm. And with team Canada, uh, just going back a little bit more to the story you wrote with Doug Armstrong. Uh, one thing I, I found myself doing, it's actually funny that you said there wasn't that much debate when I had to guest host on, uh, on teams on TSN 690 a few months ago. Uh, like one day I had to be, we essentially decided, you know, we're going to talk about team Canada. Uh, right. and I ended up trying to like put together uh, a lineup, which, you know, it's funny. I don't normally do that. But I was like, okay, crap. I have to do this for radio. So, uh, I know you probably have to do it through your work as well. Like, is there a name out there that you're thinking might surprise people, but might be even in just, even if they're just in consideration in that long list, I wonder if there's a name out there that's going to like surprise people. Cause we know we're going to see Marner. We're going to see McDavid. We're going to see Crosby. Uh, Hubert is going to be there. Like, I, I wonder like guys like a, like a, like a Ryan O'Reilly or like a Matthew Barzal, or if you're in Montreal, depending on who you ask, people are going to wonder if Nick Suzuki has a fighting chance. I don't think he does, but like, I'm just curious if there's still going to somehow be a surprise name that could somehow end up somehow end up in consideration for team Canada this year. Well, I think all the names you mentioned will be on a long list, including Suzuki's I would expect, because that allows if he has, you know, if he blossoms even more for the first half of this year, that they can at least have that more as a consideration for them. Um, you know, there's a guy like Adam Pellick, say the Islanders defenseman who certainly doesn't have a lot of profile around the league, but you know, has played very well. And the, and the Islanders have reached the, the Eastern conference final each of the last two years. And, and so he's played in a lot of big games. And I think he's someone that's on management's radar. I, I think the blue line in general is going to be an, an interesting choice. You know, one thing Doug Armstrong told me is that in a perfect world, he's of the belief he'd like to have the lefties and righties match up in terms of um, you know, how guys shoot, you know, I don't think team Canada wants to be moving someone on the blue line out of position, you know, whereas of course there's always a number of centermen that get moved to the wing at a tournament like this, because Canada just has so many elite options down the middle. Um, and I, you know, I think when you look at the left side of Canada's D it's not entirely clear how that will shake out. And, you know, you do have players, you know, whether it's a, a Pelic or, a, you know, a Thomas Shabbat or Morgan Riley, you know, these Darnell nurse, I mean, uh, they're certainly not all getting there, but I, I could, they, they're all going to at least have a shot. I would think at being a bottom pairing or the seventh guy, um, you know, on, on the roster. And so, you know, it, the, the blue line is probably the biggest choice. The goaltending will be interesting too, right? You know, Carey yes. Price in your city there in Montreal doesn't seem like he's going to be ready to start the season, um, you know, after his off season procedure, you know, what, how does he play? I think we all see him as the incumbent, you know, he had a great playoff run for the Canadians, but, you know, who do they bring in addition to him in case he, you know, you he, he, he get over to Beijing, he doesn't perform well. Um, you know, Carter Hart would have been in that conversation, but he's coming off a difficult year in Philadelphia. I think he can still get there with a, a bounce back. But, you know, the goaltending, I, I do think, um, you know, was Marc-Andre Fleury going to get serious consideration? You know, there's going to be some surprises here. I think probably the fewest surprises will be among the forwards. I think most of us would be agreed on about the top nine and then, and then you probably have an argument. There's there's a pool of like 10 players that could be in the next four. And, you know, I think Jonathan Taves could get back there despite missing all of last season, depending on how Jeez. he starts. You know, I don't think it's impossible. I, I could see him in a fourth line slash 13th forward role just because of his experience. And obviously I'm hoping Jonathan comes back and has a great season. It was tough circumstances that he missed all of last year. But, um, you know, it's it's an embarrassment of riches. Let's let's face it. Our B team uh, from Canada would 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 still put up a pretty good fight in, in these kind of tournaments. And, 
you know, that's why I, I think it's a tough job that management has and, and they're already zeroing in on it. Like they, they make that long list October 15th. They have a call early November. They have a call early December. There'll be a, probably a few more sprinkled in that aren't booked, but then they're making the team by January. So we're going to get it. I think as this season, the, the first two months of the season, we're going to have a lot more Olympic talk because I think it's going to be a real you know thing around the league and for different countries where you know there'll, there'll be a focus on it. October fifteenth is, I think, it's just way too soon to have that long list. Like if, if the season, the NHL season starts like what two days before that. Yeah, and and the long list will be about fifty five players. It sounds like give or take. Uh, 50 to 55. So, you know, for Canada, again, when I, when I'm claiming you can take two teams, you're only getting to the, just into the, what would be the third team. And that's the list. And there is surprises like who knows, there could be a rookie or someone who comes out of the blue, but you know, I just think the reality is for team Canada, that those, those players just won't be able to, to play their way on. I guess so. I, I, I mean, it's Canada's Olympics to lose. I still think though, uh, don't sleep on the Americans and, and the embarrassment of riches that they have to offer as well. Probably not, a, not as deep as, as Canada has, but a team with Austin Matthews and Patrick Kane and, and, and the goaltending that they're going to have between Connor Hellebuck and, and John Gibson, just as they're one and they're two, or who knows how they'll, they'll order those two guys. Like, I think that's something you have to take notice of. As well. And then, of course, Finland, Russia. And They're going to miss Jack Eichel. That's that's the sad they part. Are. A sad aspect of Jack's story is that, you know, unless something very unexpected happens, I don't think he'll be available for the Olympics. And, you know, having him and Matthews as a one-two punch down the middle, I think that center position will be a big question mark for the Americans, you know, after Matthews. You know, you got Dylan Larkin and a few other guys, but they just don't have as many proven elite centermen as Team Canada does. Uh, Chris Johnston's work uh, on Doug Armstrong. Again, you can check that out in the Toronto Star on top of all of the millions of other things that you have going on. Also, I appreciate you doing this, knowing that uh, you did mention you are a Toronto Blue Jays fan. It's uh, not the easiest uh, post, uh, I mean, funny to say postseason because the actual MLB postseason will be going on without the Toronto Blue Jays. I did not mean that as a slight. I genuinely feel your pain. So I appreciate you being on and doing this and not just deciding to just take this opportunity just be like i'm just going to talk about how sad i am about the blue jays best words in sports bud there's always next year (laughs) i generally feel bad for you bro thanks (laughs) oh jesus there's always next year all right chris thank you so much of course as always uh for chris i'm julian saying so long uh we're back at it on thursday with another edition of the chris johnston show and after that the next monday and the next Thursday, and the next Monday, and the next Thursday. We've got episodes coming out the wazoo for this show. We have to keep this momentum going. We're on Spotify. Like, subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on Spotify. Stop asking us, please. Seriously. We're on pretty much every podcast uh, place where you can get us. And with that, uh, that concludes today's episode of The Chris Johnston Show. Peace, guys. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK McKenzie.